0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from comedian Lee Camp, The David Packman Show, The Matthew Filipovich Show, The Majority Report, The Young Turks, The Progressive, and On the Media. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode contains profanity that is nowhere near as offensive as the unconstitutional government actions those words are describing.
1: This is your moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. So I have some great news, folks. The Republicans and the Democrats in Congress and the White House finally came together and agreed on something. This is huge. These guys disagree on everything. Getting them to see eye to eye is like getting the Israelis and the Palestinians to do a trust fall together. Or getting Eskimos and polar bears to play Jenga. I'm referring to the bill H.R. 347 that was signed by President Obama the other day and passed unanimously in the Senate and 388 to 3 in the House. That's nearly every single lawmaker. The last time they agreed that closely on something it was a bill raising monthly congressional pay to include a box of ding-dongs, two erotic cakes, feet, during Bonanza star Purnell Roberts, and a gentle yet inquisitive prostate exam every Tuesday. What did this magical, universally loved bill say? Well, many are calling it the Anti-Occupy Law, because it allows the government to bring charges against Americans involved in many kinds of political protest at any location the Secret Service quote, is or will temporarily be visiting. So basically, if the government wants to shut down a protest, they just send a couple of Secret Service down there to scratch their balls for a second, and then they start putting people in jail for a year or more. This is all lovely, except for that bitchy, bothersome document, the Constitution. I believe somewhere in the back it says, quote, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. Ah, shit, that must have sucked when Congress found that out. To get that close to passing the bill and then shot down? It must have been like getting hired to rub baby oil on the contestants of Miss Universe before the bathing suit portion of the competition and then losing your hands in a freak cell phone exploding accident. Quick side note. Why isn't baby oil more expensive? You figure they must have to process... Five or six of those little fellas, just to get one bottle. So when Congress heard about that First Amendment thing, they must have been like, God damn it, that really fucks up all our plans! That fucking line in the Constitution says not to do exactly what we wanted to do! That's... that's what they must have said, right? Right? They didn't... They didn't just, like, pass it, and then... The President didn't just, like, sign it. Right? But the bill doesn't stop there. I mean, when you have the entirety of Congress, with the exception of Ron Paul, agreeing on something, why not swing for the fences? The bill also says it could be a federal crime to protest near an event of, quote, national significance. Well, that's not vague at all. So you could be convicted of a federal crime and locked away for a year or more for the following things, marching outside the Democratic or Republican national conventions, yelling Cockface corporate whore outside a barber shop where Mitt Romney is getting his ear hair trimmed. Marching in front of the entrance of the New York Stock Exchange. Sprinkling magic homosexual glitter on Rick Santorum or even anyone near Rick Santorum or even just making fun of his stupid sweater vest. Or going to the gates of the White House and demanding the President read the Constitution. You know, if he gets a chance in his free time. Well, if Congress gets to stomp on the Bill of Rights like this, I want to do it too. I want to bring back cruel and unusual punishment, and then we could demand that every man or woman who voted for the anti-protest law or signed it from the Oval Office be tied up in the town square naked for a week while everyone who wants to gets to throw fire ants and bumblebees at their naughty bits. Deal? That's your moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. Do your own research on HR 347. Look it up, tell your friends about it, sign the petitions online, and protest protest against injustice state terror on the streets of the
2: world for the disempowered you sung at our shows cheered right over
1: wrong now it's time to hit the streets back up those words you sung because our voices alone this time will not
3: get it done HR 347 and S 1794, aka the Trespass Bill of 2011, criminalizes protest Lewis. This is uh the, the legislators responsible for bringing this legislative excrement to life, our representative Tom Rooney, a Republican from Florida in the House of Representatives and Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, leading the Senate version. And uh rooney who is a proud sponsor of this hr three forty seven has served in the army as a jag corps attorney he has taught law at west point with his specialty being criminal law and ironically constitutional law and what's ironic to me lewis is that this constitutional law professor has no qualms criminalizing protest and free speech you know we talk a lot about people like doctor laura Schlesinger, sarah palin Others completely misunderstanding the definition of the First Amendment and and what freedom of speech is. Right? They say because they were forced to quit a job because of something offensive they said, they've lost their freedom of speech. Complete misunderstanding. Absolutely. But criminalizing protest and free speech actually is an example, and it was basically ignored by the mainstream media. Crazy. No surprise, I guess. Really? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not surprised the bill makes protest of almost any kind potentially a federal offense with anywhere from a year to ten years in federal prison provided that it occurs in the presence of elites brandishing secret service protection or during an officially defined national special security event i I don't want to go down the police stater conspiracy theories but this really is a concern to me because we we are talking about People being offended at an N-word rant from Dr. Laura and not wanting to listen to her on the radio anymore. We're actually talking about potentially, uh, you know, creating additional stipulations one after another to make it more and more difficult to protest or to make your voice heard. I, I find this disturbing. Right. I-, I don't think it'll pass. But once something like this does pass, it certainly opens things up. And uh, it could get a lot worse. Well, the vote, the the House vote actually took place on February twenty eighth. It was three thirty eight four and three against. So we're actually we're actually seeing this this pass. Oh. The question is, how will it be interpreted? How will it be enforced?
2: My brain's-
4: Uh, of our Constitution. You, are you familiar with that? The First Amendment? Well, apparently our First Amendment may not actually have much time left. Um, it may, it it may be close to being done. You know, it's had a good run. The First Amendment had a good run. Um, but there is a bill that has, uh, passed this week in the House of Representatives. Um, and in fact already passed the Senate. Um, and there's no, no reason to believe that the White House is going to veto it. Uh, the bill goes by the name, uh, goes by H.R. 347. Um, the full title of the bill is the Federal Restricted Buildings and Grounds Improvement Act of 2011. Uh, you know, kind of an easy title. Who wouldn't want buildings and grounds improved, right? I mean, you know, every, buildings and grounds are, they should be improved. Sure, sure they should. Um, Unfortunately, that's the, the bill is 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 pretty nefarious. Um, RT uh, actually has a really great <laughs> really great report on it. Um, the bill, on its surface, uh, on its surface alone, supposedly updates uh, security at the White House. At which, you know, the White House, I don't know if you've ever been to the White House. I have. The White House seems pretty secure. Um, the White House is one of the most secure buildings around, really. It's, it's a pretty secure building. Um, the wording and implications of, of this bill are frankly downright frightening and really unconstitutional when you look at it. Currently, currently those trespassing at the White House are covered under local Washington DC law. And 90 plus percent of the times, uh, those people are charged with a misdemeanor. Like say, um, say protesters who say, for example, chain themselves to the White House fence. Uh, those are most, most of the time those people are given a ticket. Like, except, except in some cases like Dan Choi, they're not. Uh, well, anyway, this new law, the new law makes, quote, trespassing at the White House a federal felony. Um, which one thing, which that's one thing, uh, you know, truthfully, the, you know obviously protesting at the white house there aren't a lot of protest options actually inside the physical white house i mean security at the white house is obviously high it's the white house um you know you could try wander off you could try to wander off on a tour but you're going to be caught pretty quickly if you wander off on a tour you got to go through all types of security uh you know sometimes people <coughs> sometimes people climb the fence but they're also arrested very quickly if they climb the fence um here's the thing though here's the thing beyond just the White House grounds, this bill extends, uh, sadly and and frighteningly, beyond the White House, Uh, and that's where this gets really, really, uh, really scary. Reading from RT, uh, quote, the new legislation allows prosecutors to charge anyone who enters a building without permission or with the intent to disrupt a government function with a federal offense if Secret Service is on the scene. So here we go. So this is, this is all about Secret Service. So, so now, so now this, this, so now, not only is it a felony at the White House, not just the White House, it now means any building that there's any Secret Service protection going on. Any building at all. Going on here, under the law, reading from this, under the law, quote, any building or grounds where the president is visiting, even temporarily, is covered. As is any building or grounds, quote, restricted in conjunction with an ev- event designated as a special event of national significance. So, so what exactly, what exactly does national significance mean? Well, as you can guess, it, it can mean pretty much whatever the hell they want it to mean. The language is so vague, it really can mean anything. Um, and the language of this bill was saying that, that if they disrupt Disrupt any type of of of, of 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 event so so essentially what this means what this means everybody if the president is giving a speech anywhere anywhere at all, the President of the United States is giving a speech anywhere and say for example, you or anyone else decides to Say, Mike check the president, which is not out of the realm of of possibility. If you or someone else, Mike checks the president of the United States, not only could you be ejected from the event, which you would, which you would, which would be expected, not only could you be ejected, now, now you can be charged with a felony, with a possibility of up to 10 Years in prison. You heard me right. A felony with up to ten years in prison. So say you know say you say you're not an, an occupy person. Say you're a Tea Party member and you want to protest Obama. You want you're a Tea Party member who wants to protest Obama because you know he's a socialist, communist, Marxist, Kenyan, Muslim, or whatever you think he is. Um, say you go to an event and you interrupt the president and disrupt the president. You could now be charged with a felony and thrown into prison for up to ten years. People, I don't have to tell you that. That's bad. Not being able to protest the president of the United States, obviously that's bad. But but here's the thing, here's the thing. It's bad, but it's actually worse than that. It gets worse. Because this law, this law doesn't just apply to the president of the United States. No, it doesn't. It applies to to anyone, anyone receiving secret service protection. That includes ex-presidents. That includes current presidential candidates. So right now, right now, at this very moment, Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum are receiving Secret Service protection. So under this law, under this law, if you were to disrupt an event with Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum as a form of political protest, or hell, just to friggin' do it, you could be charged with a felony and receive up to 10 years in prison. You want to protest Rick Santorum? You want to protest Mitt Romney? You could face Ten years in prison the bill the bill also says it also says uh the way they word it it says in the building or or the grounds of the building, so say if you're being quote disrupted disruptive outside A Romney speech. Maybe he's giving a speech at a hotel or something like that. Maybe he's giving a speech, uh, anywhere at a hotel in a city or Rick Santorum or Obama. They're giving a speech at a hotel. You could face a felony charge or 10 years of prison for disrupting things outside. You want to know? You want to know who else gets? You want to know who else gets Secret Service protection? Foreign dignitaries. Foreign dignitaries visiting the United States get Secret Service protection. That makes sense. You know, we don't want foreign dignitaries on our soil to to be attacked or killed or anything like that. It makes sense that foreign dignitaries get Secret Service protection. But, but, here we go now. So if any of you listening, and I know some of you are, are planning to protest at, say, the G8 that's coming up in Chicago, if you're planning to protest, you could now face a felony charge under this law. Now, now, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not only do foreign dignitaries, not only do ex-presidents, not only do uh, presidential candidates receive ser- Secret Service protection. Currently, Currently, the President of the United States has the authority, with the stroke of a pen, to give anyone Secret Service protection that is a, a a a power that the president of the united states has historically historically they haven't you know just given out secret service willy nilly or whatever but but they have that power so let me ask you a question let me ask you a question my friends what if what if the president of the united states decided to give secret service protection to say the head of bank of america Or say to the head of Chase. Or say to the head of Goldman Sachs. Which, under law, he actually could. Currently, the president could give Secret Service to whoever he wants. And if he did, or she, maybe we'll have a female president someday, it's possible. If the president did, that would make disrupting an event that they're holding a felony as well. Ten years in prison. But let's go back. Let's go back to this whole, uh, the whole, another part of the bill, which is not only Secret Service, but also events of national significance. Again, the wording of this is so big. It obviously, it obviously applies to something like the G8. It obviously applies to something like the DNC and the RNC, the conventions that are coming up. It also applies to something called the Super Bowl. So if you were to do some type of protest at the Super Bowl for some reason, uh, protesting sexism in sports, protesting any reason you would protest the Super Bowl, you potentially could be charged with a felony the language of this bill makes it a felony to protest so 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 how many how many members of the house voted against this bill it's passed it passed but how many members of the house voted against it it must this bill must have just barely squeaked by the house right it must have just barely squeaked by how many How many House members voted against this bill? Three. Three people. Just three Congress members. This bill passed 388 to three. 388 to three, this bill passed. So then, so then you can ask, okay, okay. It passed the House like that. But what about the Senate? What about the democratically controlled Senate? What about the Senate where everything, everything needs 60 votes to pass the Senate filibuster? You obviously need 60 votes to pass the filibuster. Obviously, this didn't just fly through the Senate, right? This bill passed the Senate without an actual roll call vote. It passed the Senate with unanimous consent. There is not a roll call on this bill passing the Senate. It went through via unanimous consent. I don't have to tell you, this is bad. This is really, really, really bad. This is really bad, especially, especially considering uh, a report, (laughs) excuse me, that Michael Hastings of Rolling Stone published uh, just this week, a, a new report that confirms with what you probably would guess, it, it, I mean, obviously you could guess this, it's not like a surprise, but Hastings um, has in fact documented at Rolling Stone that the Department of Homeland Security is in fact keeping tabs on the Occupy movement. I know, I know, you're shocked, right? I know, I know I was shocked to find that Homeland Security was tracking the Occupy movement, but how, how did Michael Hastings find this out? How did he find this out? Well, from a little source known as WikiLeaks. Surprise, surprise. It turns out Wiki, WikiLeaks actually obtained a Homeland Security report on the Occupy movement. <laughs> Excuse me. Hastings, uh, Hastings points out that the most di- disturbing part of this report that Homeland Security has on the Occupy movement is, in fact, in the very last paragraph. I'm going to read the last paragraph for you because it actually is it, is. it is pretty frightening. This is from the last paragraph of the Homeland Security Occupy report. It reads, quote, the growing support for the OWS movement has expanded the protests impact and increased the potential for violence. OK, just right there. Obviously, you know, the Occupy movement is a nonviolent movement. But anyway, fine. Going back to the report, reading on, quote, while the peaceful nature of the protests has served so far to mitigate their impact, larger numbers and support from groups such as Anonymous, ooh, Anonymous, substantially increase the risk for potential incidents and intense Enhance the potential security risk to critical infrastructure, CI. The continued expansion of these protests also places an increasingly heavy burden on law enforcement and movement organizers to control protesters. That's right, they said it right there that it's law enforcement's job to control the protesters. Moving on, as the primary target of the demonstrations, financial services stands uh, the sector most impacted by the Occupy Wall Street protests due to the location of the protests in major metropolitan areas. Heightened and continuous situational awareness for security personnel all across CI sectors is encouraged. There you go, everybody. Homeland Security, the Department of Homeland Security, monitoring protesters, monitoring dissent, talking about, quote, controlling The protesters. But you know what? Hey, it looks it it looks like, you know, with this new Secret Service bill, it looks like with this new Secret Service bill, Homeland Security, it looks like you're not actually going to have to control them. It looks like you're not actually going to have to control them. They can just arrest them under the new bill. They can just arrest them and charge them with a felony and place them in prison for 10 years. They can do it for 10 years. Just just put just put Lloyd Blankfein under protection. Just put uh, Jamie Dimon under protection. Just put him under secret service protection and arrest all the protesters. Charge him with a felony. Bo bam. It's solved. I mean, people, you know, obviously, obviously the, the the whole idea of charging protesters with a felony, obviously, it lessens American citizens' chances of going to a protest. Just knowing, just knowing that by, by, by going to a march, by going to a protest, you potentially could be thrown in prison for ten years. Of course that that, that, that stifles the dissent. It is a chilling attack on free speech and a chilling attack on democracy itself.
5: So uh, late last week, uh, the AP reports that new documents have come to light showing that the New York Police Department has been continuing on with programs and tactics that they developed supposedly for the state of emergency that we were nearly in, according to them, uh, in the lead-up and the aftermath to the Republican convention in 2004. In the old majority report, Janine and I invited onto the program. Uh, we had a couple of cops come on at different times, friend of show, guys who were fairly rational individuals who would sit there and tell us, sort of off the record, um, and they believed it. They were like, there's going to be tremendous violence there there are there are, you know they're they're coming in they're coming in from everywhere this is going to be, um, this is gonna be WTO, this is going to be This is going to be seattle protest times three and the police department was completely juiced up for this notion that they were about to face all-out war so everything was off everything was on the table and i'm quite convinced that internally Somewhere along the chain of command, there is an understanding that we need to do this. We need to get our police force in a state of mind that they're under siege. To get them to do things, some guys you don't, obviously, but to get those uh, reasonable cops to believe that there is such an incredible threat that they're willing to undermine the very liberties that they're supposedly protecting. You know, he saw this the other night uh out at this uh, uh Union Station uh, Union Square. Why don't you listen to this audio. There's nothing going on in Union Square practically. The cops are starting to move in. There's video. We'll post the video on majority.fm. There's you can see a cop sort of out of the blue. Just start claiming that someone's throwing glass bottles. You don't hear any glass shattering? You don't see any bottles. The guy standing uh, videotaping this is right near the cops. If there was anybody throwing bottles, you would have seen it. And you can hear the guy shooting the video going, what are you talking about? And the cop keeps yelling down the line to the other cops who are moving forward with this sort of movable, this movable sort of kettling, not net, but uh, fence, trying to get the cops scared. And to react almost like to make them trigger happy. Listen to this audio. It, it really is incredible. Watch the
6: bottle!
7: Oh. You guys throw bottles? Back up! Back up now! Back up! Back up! Back up. Bottles, back up. Now! Back up! bottles, guys! One of your guys threw a bottle. One of your undercover guys threw a oh. bottle. Back up! One of your bosses hired an undercover to do a bottle.
1: Watch the You're bottles, guys! Bottle. They want to hurt us! The they want to hurt us, guys! Watch the bottles!
7: You got plans. You got under throwing bottles. Get off the stairs. Go watch
1: the bottles. They're
5: throwing glass bottles at us. They're throwing glass bottles at us, guys. You're lying, officer. You're lying. You're lying. You hear that? They want to hurt us, guys. They're throwing glass bottles, guys. They're throwing glass bottles. There's no bottles. There's nothing being thrown but this cop is trying to psych up the other cops and so you have these tactics you have these tactics that the police department and the intelligence units developed in two thousand four which we didn't find out about until two thousand seven of course in april two thousand eight apparently well, after the 2004 uh, RNC, You'll, you math whizzes out there will know that it was four years after. An undercover New York Police Department went to New Orleans to attend the People's Summit, which was a, a gathering of liberal groups talking about U.S. economic policy and the effect of trade agreements, NAFTA, GATT, etc. When they uh, summarized their reports, I guess, and I don't know why the NYPD is traveling. What the theory is is why they're traveling down to New Orleans, you know. Other, I mean, I I know why you go to New Orleans. In the report, they they singled out two activists: John Flaherty, who's a journalist, and then another one, Marissa Franco, who is literally a labor organizer for housekeepers and nannies. And they talk about a uh, workshop that John Flaherty uh, ran, who used to be in New York City. I mean, this just sounds like he's an editor and journalist of Left Turn Magazine and was one of the main organizers of the conference. Flaherty held a discussion calling for the increase of divestment campaign of Israel and mentioned two events related to Palestine. Apparently, according to John Flaherty, all he did was intro a movie at a Florida film festival about Palestine. supposedly this is to fight terror this is all done by a new york police department intelligence division which we know has been headed by either former cia operatives or concurrent cia operatives and we know at the very least that the new york police department has been engaging in spying on muslims close-up unprovoked sort of f- uh, fishnet spying of muslims not just in new york but throughout the northeast it's unbelievable and yet um, we hear nothing about this the dhs puts out a report saying that there are right wing paramilitary groups that we should be concerned about the whole thing gets withdrawn because of right wing pushback yet you have labor organizers and guys introducing films at film festivals winding up in reports in the new york police department literally thousands of miles away and if you think that's where it ends you know the police department says that for every traffic violation they get like forty two by that same person go unticketed what you for? i imagine there are similar odds in this instance in terms of New York Police Department spy.
2: What the fuck they looking
8: at? Could eyes behind my back. Yeah. I'm just an ordinary guy with an act to kick a rap. Wondering why they wanna have that information on me. What I buy at keys. is it really exciting? Oh. I'm fighting my way through the camera Lake store, and when I purchase something, they wanna know more. But what poor man? I'm talking Radio Shack. Shack. The good guys, it's all bad. They create a stack of, of files. I want the wild, but I'll settle for the discount. Shit's bound to come back though. Tenfold. I'm only twenty-three years old and both. Never owned a weapon. So what the fuck they stressing for? Go for walks in the wilderness wondering. Do the trees see? And what the fuck do they want with me if they do, man? I'm tripping. Sipping on some brew, cause reality
2: is cuckoo.
9: Three so the New York Police Department has received a lot of criticism because it decided to spy on innocent Muslim students and uh go into mosques and spy on them while they're uh, at their services. But th- it turns out that they are also spying on liberal activists. Back in uh, 2008, they were, uh, one New York Police Department official actually traveled to New Orleans to spy on the People's Summit. Uh Uh-huh. Why is a New York police official going to New Orleans to spy on the People's Summit?
8: Well the People's Summit must be very dangerous. Uh, How many Al-Qaeda people were there? Zero. Oh really? None, huh? That's weird. So how many dangerous terrorist people were there? Zero. Really, not even any Tamil tigers or anything.
9: The only people that they uh encountered were anti-war demonstrators.
8: Anti-war? Well, those people are the most dangerous people in the world because they don't want violence.
9: Think about how much of our how much of their resources they're wasting on spying on innocent people, literally going to whitewater rafting trips that Muslim students are at. And <laughs> in some cases trying to get students to say things like jihad on tape. To prove that these people are potentially terrorists. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? It makes me so angry. First of all, militarizing a local police department is stupid. Okay? You shouldn't do it. Okay? We have the FBI to focus on counterterrorism in this country. Why is the New York Police Department spying on harmless individuals?
8: Well, mainly because I think they wanted to go rafting. Like please say jihad, please say jihad so we can go whitewater rafting with you guys you don 't understand the problem is that we 're looking at it from the wrong priorities. We are making the assumption that they give a damn about the people that are supposed to protect us, which is not the case uh, uh, they their priorities are elsewhere, so uh, they are there unfortunately to protect the power establishment so if you 're going to protect the power establishment who's the first people you would infiltrate? Occupy movement and we talked about how they have uh, they're now going to Twitter and demanding to find out who the people sending tweets are okay in the Occupy movement, okay? So, and then in this case, well, if we don't have war, how are the defense contractors gonna make money? How are the rich gonna get richer? Well, so obviously we gotta infiltrate them. They're a danger to the power establishment. So, violence, who cares, man? Protecting the people of New York, who cares? Like, come on, seriously, can anyone out there make a legitimate case that, you know what, the anti-war peace people, oof, they were very, very dangerous to the citizens of New York. I mean, if the police didn't infiltrate them, can you imagine if peace broke out? Nobody could make that argument. So it's, that's because the NYPD has apparently, because of their leadership, now interpreted their mandate as to be protect all the people who are rich and powerful and don't worry about the rest.
9: Yeah, definitely. And look, even though the New York Police Department is the one that's being investigated by the Associated Press, and the AP is doing an excellent job with that, by the way, keep in mind that there are other police uh, departments that are doing some very similar actions. For instance, the FBI uh is uh collecting information on anti-war demonstrators. So on a federal level this is happening. But also the Maryland Police uh, Department infiltrated meetings of anti-death penalty groups. Missouri counterterrorism analysts suggested that support for Representative Ron Paul in Texas might indicate support for violent militias.
8: No, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. You see that? That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Because whoever is challenging power, Ron Paul people are challenging power, they don't like the Fed, they gotta be investigated. It's not a liberal or conservative thing. It's a thing of like if you suck up to the people in power, you're A okay, don't worry about it, you're never gonna get investigated. You challenge those guys, oh you're in for a world of hurt. Doesn't matter if you're a Ron Paul guy on the right or you're anti war guys on the left. No, 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 they're coming for you. Because this is not our police department. This is the police department of JP Morgan and the politicians and Goldman Sachs, etc. And and apparently also the defense contractors as well
9: and look we always mention this and it's absolutely true it's a form of intimidation if you are an activist if you are speaking out against the establishment and you know that on a federal level and a local level you're being spied on you're much less likely to be vocal about the things that you're opposed to and this is happening on college campuses as well now you have uh, the CIA and the FBI working with college police enforcement on how they can keep an eye on uh, terrorism within
8: campuses. Sure, yeah, terrorism. Yeah, I
2: know. I pull my shirt on, walk out the door, drag my feet along the floor, then I see you, you're walking across the campus, you professors studying romances. How am I supposed to pretend? I know.
10: The NYPD's at it again. It's been embarrassed by the racial profiling and guilt by association snooping That it's been doing in the Muslim American community not only in New York City but also all the way to New Jersey and Connecticut now it turns out that it's been keeping tabs on peace activists as far south as New Orleans according to the AP in April 2008 an undercover NYPD officer traveled to New Orleans to attend the People's Summit a gathering of liberal groups organized around their shared opposition to US economic policy and the effective trade agreements between the US Canada and Mexico the NYPD's files mentioned two activists by name, including Jordan Flaherty, a journalist who's worked for the Progressive. Flaherty told the AP that he was stunned to be spied on for simply exercising his First Amendment rights. The only threat was the threat of ideas, he said. Having the secret police following you around, he added, is terrifying. It sure must be. The NYPD is way out of control. Mayor Bloomberg refuses to rein it in, so I hope Jordan Flaherty will file a lawsuit against the NYPD and punish him for violating his rights in our Constitution. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
11: This week, the Supreme Court decided a case called U.S. versus Jones, which may have raised more questions than it answered. In that case, the Washington, D.C. police affixed a GPS device to the car of suspected drug dealer Antoine Jones for 28 days and amassed enough evidence to earn him life in prison. The Supreme Court ruled that tracking Jones violated his Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable search and seizure. The case set a precedent that merely attaching a GPS device to a car with the intent to collect data constitutes a search, but the court explicitly did not rule on whether that type of search is categorically unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment. Confused? Oren Kerr, law professor at George Washington University and blogger for the Volokh Conspiracy, says that by not deciding whether attaching a GPS device is unreasonable, the court left law enforcement with too little to work with.
12: We know one thing with certainty, that the government can't place a GPS device on a car with no reason to think that there's any criminal conduct afoot. And that applies to the federal government, and it applies to the state government. What we just don't know is if the government needs to get a search warrant. We don't know if the government needs just probable cause without a warrant. We don't know how much the government needs to do before installing a GPS device, but we know that they can't just install it on anyone's car without any cause at all.
11: I'm interested, though, in the uh, D.C. Circuit Court decision that led up to the Supreme Court case. The prosecution argued that the threshold of search doesn't necessarily happen the first moment a GPS is put on the car, that it has to be on there for a certain period of time before it rises to the level of search. Can you tell me about the mosaic theory?
12: The idea is instead of looking at whether an individual act is unconstitutional, maybe you should look at whether acts over a period of time are sort of collectively unconstitutional. And that would allow the government to install a GPS device for a limited period of time and then maybe require a warrant when the GPS device has been used for more than a week or two weeks. We don't exactly know where the dividing line is Although the majority in the Supreme Court did not embrace this theory, a few justices wrote additional opinions in which they indicated they very well might be willing to accept it in a future case.
11: How in the world would any law enforcement agency be able to interpret when this threshold has been reached to constitute unreasonable search? And how in the world could a court itself determine
12: when that threshold has been passed? It is so subjective the problem with the mosaic theory is nobody knows if 10 days of monitoring is too much or 20 days the concurring opinion by Justice Alito in the Jones case said we don't know exactly where the line is but 30 days, which is the amount of monitoring in the Jones case, was too much I tend to think if the Supreme Court in a future case has to grapple with this issue they won't want to adopt this mosaic theory because of these difficult line drawing problems but that's just a prediction and we're going to have to wait and see Can those of us who worry about
11: police intrusion take heart in the fact that the justices ruled
12: that GPS is in fact a search? If you're worried about privacy, if you're worried about how new technologies threaten privacy, this is a terrific decision. There's not a lot of clarity, but there are strong suggestions that the court would be willing to adopt new privacy protections that we have not yet seen before. And more generally, nine justices of the Supreme Court are worried about privacy, just like a lot of Americans are. And on the flip side, if you're
11: worried about putting bad guys in jail using reasonable police tools for so doing,
12: should you be alarmed? The Supreme Court over U.S. history has tried to tailor the constitutional protections to new technologies. The Supreme Court justices try to adjust the level of constitutional protection to try to restore the traditional balance of the Constitution. At least so far, we see the nine justices very much engaged in the problem.
11: Now, as I understand it, it actually expands the definition of privacy under the Fourth Amendment. Uh, can you tell me more?
12: For the last 40 years or so, the Supreme Court has said that the Constitution only protects reasonable expectations of privacy. In the Jones case, the court said the Constitution does protect reasonable expectations of privacy, but it also protects against government conduct that was a trespass as of the time of the framing of the Constitution.
11: So 220 years ago, when GPS technology was at a very early stage, what what (laughs) constituted trespass?
12: There's some disagreement in the opinions in the Jones case as to what was trespass at the time. But the idea is touching somebody else's property with an intent to find something out by doing that. So what the court said was when the GPS device was installed, that itself was not a constitutional search But installing the GPS device with an intent to get information from the GPS device, that was a trespass. So a cop putting a GPS tracker on your car
11: is trespass, provided he does so with the intention of keeping track of you. But if he just does it as a decorative element,
12: the court's down with that. Strange but true. The court, in fact, comes out and says if it's just installing the device without any intent to ever use it, that's okay. That's not a constitutional search.
11: Oren, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. Section 1031 of the National Defense Authorization Act, currently before Congress, would allow for the indefinite detention of American citizens by the military without charges or trial. I know this is boring talk at the moment, but there's a shot of Lindsay Lohan at the end of this video, so hang in there. But the White House will likely sign the act into law in the coming days. Whether it becomes law or by some miracle, does not. We already know that most of our elected officials are perfectly fine with the idea. So the question is, how did we get here? How did we get to this point? What happened to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Even if they draw a line through the liberty part, we should still get the happiness clause, unless your idea of happiness is drawing designs out of crushed cockroaches. I'm guessing your ability to pursue said happiness might be slightly infringed upon when you're locked in the Oklahoma franchise location of Guantanamo Bay. Look, there's only a small degree of difference between the two political parties, the two parties the media is willing to cover. But I thought one of those differences, one of those few little differences, is that Obama would not allow for the indefinite detention of American citizens without a trial. That's the one thing. That's the one thing. I would have thought while pulling that lever, I don't like it, but at least this guy won't strip me naked and put me in a cell forever with no charges. At least he has that going for him. At least there's that. The man was a constitutional law professor for fuck's sakes. And apparently never read the f***ing document. God damn No wonder they kicked him out of that job and made him go become president, because as president, you don't have to know the Constitution. It's really just a recommendation, a whiny, naggy document that you can't get to shut up, but you just try and ignore, like a poorly trained Jack Russell Terrier or a Ryan Seacrest. And I realize you might be thinking, well, I'm sure that stipulation only applies to hardened American terrorists hitting city after city like the Unabomber or Larry the Cable Guy. But no, the act says that an American suspected of belligerent behavior could be held in a military prison for eternity without trial. Belligerent? That's all I to do is belligerence. My talents are being belligerent, contentious, pugnacious, cantankerous, combative, and also knitting those little, those little doilies with the, with the pictures of cherubs on them. They're adorable. But I'm just saying, belligerence is all I have, you assholes. You can take my belligerence away from me when you pry it from my cold, dead hands, you a**headed so let's see, people who are contentious to the power elite and angrily critical of the government could be locked away forever in the land of the free. Don't worry, though, it might be fun in that military prison because you'd be in there with other belligerent, bellicose motherfuckers like Martin Luther King, Patrick Henry, Rosa Parks, Thomas Paine, Medgar Evers, Abby Hoffman, Bradley Manning, and I'm sure Kanye West would find his way in there somehow. I mean, that's a party. But I guess it's appropriate that on the 100th episode of Moment of Clarity, this gold-plated, poop-stained, democracy-faced, proxy-plutocracy would make belligerence illegal. Next, they'll go after satirical acts, and then acts of parody, mockery, and sodomy. Well, not sodomy. They gotta keep it legal so they can keep us. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady.
6: My name is Janine Garoppolo.
1: This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is
5: Greg Pallas and
0: I've got my zipper caught
5: in Moments of Clarity.
1: Free Lee leaky. LeeCamp.net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry.
10: Far more important than Super Tuesday this week was Eric Holder's speech on Monday where the Attorney General gave a pathetic rationale for allowing the President of the United States to bump off a U.S. citizen. Using specious reasoning, Holder denied that this amounted to a policy of assassination. Some have called such operations assassinations, he said. They're not, and the use of that loaded term is misplaced, he argued. Why? Why? Because, he said, assassinations are unlawful killings and the ones the Obama administration carries out are lawful. Therefore, they can't be called assassinations. Now, this isn't logic. This is simply defining away a problem. It's the legal equivalent of whisking it under the rug. Holder's whole case hinges on the claim that the person being bumped off poses an imminent threat, he says, but then he turns around and says the threat doesn't have to be really imminent after all, take a listen, the Constitution does not require the President to delay action until some theoretical end stage of planning, he said, when the precise time, place, and manner of an attack become clear. So, actually, forget about the imminence of the threat, Holder is essentially saying as the hinge falls off his case. Holder and Obama have shamefully taken the United States down a tyrannical path with this policy of assassinating U.S. citizens, and no amount of legalistic mumbo-jumbo can justify it. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Night after night, my heartbeat show. Desperation. It's time to walk the streets Smell the desperation At least there's pretty lights Though there's little variation
2: It nullifies the night From overkill
8: At Yale Law School, uh, Defense Department Counsel Jay Johnson had come out last month and said that U.S. citizens do not enjoy immunity from extrajudicial killings, which is such an amazing statement. Yeah, you're a U.S. citizen. Well, of course we can do extrajudicial killings of you, meaning we don't go and ask the courts. There's no due process. We just kill you. And by the way, it is, quote, without geographic limitation. So we can kill you anywhere. And we don't have to ask a, a, a damn soul about it. So Eric Holder said, okay, okay, you know what? We've been getting a lot of flack for that. I'm going to go to Northwestern. I'm going to clear this thing up. And uh, he did. He gave a speech uh, where he explained uh, that there are no rules. Well, now he claims otherwise, but you're going to see in the, his explanation here that in fact he's saying we get to decide whatever we want to do. He claims there's a three part test for determining uh, which U.S. citizen can be killed abroad. He said the government must determine after careful review that the citizen possesses an imminent threat of violent attack against the United States, that capture is not feasible, and that killing would be consistent with the laws of war. All right, if it's an imminent threat, okay, I get it. Uh, you know, capture is not feasible. That, the executive branch should decide that. I understand that. Killing would be consistent with the laws of war. Well, that's the question, right? Uh, that's the whole question. Yes, if it's you're doing a legal killing, like let's say you're in a battlefield and that guy's shooting at you, you shoot him back and you kill him, of course, that's totally fine. That's within the law. The question is, is it within the law? But here is where they take a turn of phrase that I think will become historic. Let's go to clip number three here.
13: Some have argued that the president is required to get permission from a federal court before taking action against a United States citizen who is a senior operational leader of Al Qaeda or associated forces. This is simply not accurate. Due process, and judicial process are not one and the same particularly when it comes to national security the constitution guarantees due process it does not guarantee judicial process
8: that is going to go down in history the constitution guarantees due process not judicial process but what is due process if it isn't judicial if you don't go to a court The executive branch internally gets together and goes, should we kill him? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, we should kill him. What do you guys think? Should we call this due process? Yeah. Everybody's agreed. Okay, let's all shake on it. Due process. Well, we had an internal meeting about it. That's not due process. That's never, ever been considered due process in the history of the United States. Due process is when you go to the courts. When the executive branch goes to the other branch, the legislative branch, and says, hey, we have evidence on this guy. Hence, we'd like to deprive him of life or liberty or property. You know, put him in jail or maybe even execute him. Now they say, no, 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 that's integrated, that's judicial process. No, we've made up a new standard that the Obama administration, by the way, uh, this is worse than anything the Bush administration did. You have to keep it real. Now the Bush administration did torture. The Obama administration does not. That's definitely true. You should give the Obama administration credit for that. But when it comes to extrajudicial killings and now a new interpretation of the Constitution, where due process is a bunch of guys at the executive branch getting together saying, "Should we kill somebody? Yeah, let's go ahead and kill them." That is that's a that's more damage to the Constitution than even the Bush administration did. Which is stunning. If you had told me that I was going to say that at this point, I would have never believed you. Obama was a constitutional law professor. He ran his whole campaign on bringing us back to the law. This is outrageous. And did you notice? Oh, no, it's okay. It's for Al Qaeda or associated forces. What happens to be associated with Al Qaeda? Guess what? That's also an executive branch decision. So the CIA and the Department of Justice, if they get involved, and the military can look around and go, "Oh yeah, are they associated with Yeah, yeah, Let's go ahead and do, give that guy due process." In other words, drop a drone on his head. Now, how about uh, you know looking at these U.S. citizens and saying, "Hey, do we have enough evidence on them?" That? Well, that's another very interesting part of this. Let's go to clip four.
13: The unfortunate reality is that our nation will likely continue likely continue to face terrorist threats that at times originate with our own citizens. When such individuals take up arms against this country and join al-Qaeda in plotting attacks designed to kill their fellow Americans, there may be only one realistic and appropriate response. We must take steps to stop them in full accordance with the Constitution. In this hour of danger, we simply cannot afford to wait until deadly plans are carried out, and we will not.
8: Do you understand that? In this hour of danger, we cannot afford to wait until their plans are actually carried out. Now, nobody's saying, hey, you know what? If you've got evidence on the guy, let him do the bombing anyway. Of course not. Nobody would say that. But what he's actually justifying is we don't have enough evidence on the guy, but we can't afford to wait to get evidence on the guy. So we're doing an extrajudicial killing of a US citizen, really, without any evidence. Not, I shouldn't say any evidence, without enough evidence because we can't afford to wait. He also said, quote, The Constitution does not require the president to delay action until some theoretical end stage of planning where the precise time, place, and manner of an attack become clear. Look at that admission. In other words, we don't know that the guy's going to do an attack. We don't know what the attack is. We don't know what it is. We don't know anything about it, but we decided that it's due process enough that we don't like the guy. I mean, we think that we have some evidence that he's kind of an associated force with some of the bad guys. So we don't go to a court, we don't present any evidence, we don't even have time to collect evidence, we just kill him." That would normally be called an assassination, but not according to Eric Holder. He says, quote, "Some have called such operations assassinations." No, they are not. And the use of that loaded term is misplaced. Of course, it is. Assassinations are unlawful killings. Here, for the reasons that I have given, the U.S. government's use of lethal force in self defense against a leader of Al- an Al Qaeda or an associated force who presents an imminent threat of violent attack would not be unlawful and therefore would not violate the executive order banning ass- assassination under criminal statutes. Now, what did he say there? He just went to total Orwellian terms of, we don't call it assassination anymore, because assassination, by definition, is illegal. But what we're doing, by definition, is legal, and hence it cannot be called an assassination. It just went around and around in that circle. So, but wait a minute. You said that in this definition that it needs to be an imminent threat. But earlier in the speech, you said it doesn't need to be an imminent threat. You don't even have to know when the guy's going to do the attack, or if he's even got a plan for the attack. Because we don't have time for delay. We don't have time to wait and gather that kind of evidence. We just press the button. So what happened to the imminent threat? Well, then if it's an, not an imminent threat, then aren't you doing something illegal? No, because we're just deciding not to call it an assassination. Uh, and uh, it's now uh, a, a perfectly uh, legal way of doing. It. They're just making stuff up as they go along.
2: Hi, Jay. My name is Danny. I'm calling from Tampa, Florida. Just finished listening to your episode on Trayvon Martin, and I just wanted to say thank you. you just given me a a vehicle to basically express to my friends and family how I feel and what is really going on in Florida. We are Latin Americans, but... Unfortunately, I feel that my, my sisters specifically, they, they don't really, they don't realize where we're at because we've been kind of privileged to, uh, have been born with lighter skin than a lot of Latin Americans. But this is the reality that we live and we've lived and we, I guess we've been drinking the Kool-Aid, and if something good comes out of, out of the Trevor Martin, uh, killing, it will be for everyone, everyone in, in, in America to look at Florida and realize that there, there is a problem here. There is a big, huge problem. Not only racism, but also this onslaught of right-wing propaganda to make us feel like we're nobody. Thank you. Keep up the good work.
7: My name is Dan. I'm a police officer and a liberal and a fan of your show. And that's kind of weird because I think most people think of cops as sort of conservative. But uh, anyway, I just got done listening to the Trayvon Martin episode. And I have, by and large, I agree with it, I think public perception of that case is accurate. I think George Zimmerman had a little bit of vigilante in him and without a doubt chased down and caused the scenario that led to Trayvon Martin's death. However, I do have a problem with the Sanford Police Department being labeled as racist for their handling of the case. Because Zimmerman hasn't been arrested or charged yet, doesn't mean they weren't planning on it. It doesn't mean they weren't thinking about it doesn't mean they weren't investigating it and it doesn't mean they were presuming that he is innocent. Police investigations develop slowly take time, that's a natural part of many complicated investigations as this one obviously is. As part of many racially charged investigations as this one obviously is, particularly the Young Turks show, I think that the female host of that show was really really far out of line to, to label an entire police department as racist a-holes, just because they haven't charged this man yet. And I think the reality of the situation is probably much different than that, especially now that the case is being handed over. That being said, there is no doubt that Zimmerman is, uh, was acting out of line and, and, uh, and, and definitely caused the scenario that led to the unfortunate death of young Trayvon Martin. But uh, I don't think that it's fair to label the police department in that manner. That's all I got to say. Thanks. Love the show. See you.
6: Hi, Jay Doug in Chicagoland. I wanted to call and leave a comment about privilege, mainly to Christy of Kansas and Elga of Indiana. I do see where they're coming from as far as uh, them trying to explain things to uh, ignorant people about the oppression that they've suffered. I really don't know what to think of the term straight white male privilege because uh, I don't think I fall into that category of 75% of the power structure, as uh, Christy pointed out. You know, I've never oppressed these ladies in any way, shape, or form. I've never told them that they have to make 70% of what a man makes. I've never said that they can't marry the woman they love. I've never said they can't take uh, contraception or can't get an abortion. And I've never ridiculed anybody for being gay. And I don't think that uh, it, it's, a uh, something that falls into the category of being a straight white male of privilege. Now, one of the reasons I like blacking it up is because I do get perspective from black people's point of view and I do seek to learn from their point of view so that I can better do things in my life. And one of the things I did learn from them is uh, the young black mother who was talking to her eight-year-old son And she was in a department store and she kneeled down in front of him and said, you see that man over there? That's the security officer for the store. The moment you walked into the store, he came to the conclusion that you're gonna try and steal something. So don't touch anything unless you intend to buy it. Keep your hands out of your pockets. You stick with me, you understand? Yeah, mama, I understand. And then he probably looked at that guy and said, you know, thought to himself, what I ever do to you?" My mother never gave me that uh, speech, so I guess if that's what you mean by straight white male of privilege, then yes, I fall into that category. One of the other things I like about Blacking It Up is the way he loses it for emphasis, and I really appreciate her intelligence. You know, on the subject of not teaching us about your oppression, I wish that you would teach me everything you can about your oppression. I don't, I. I The more I can learn, the better off I can be. So I think it's very important to uh, always learn more. And uh, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate your insight, Chrissy and Elga. And uh, you guys have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I just want to quickly add uh, just a bit from an email that I received that is very close to what was being said in the last uh, voicemail that I played. So this is an excerpt from uh, an email from Brian. Brian says, I think that a lot of folks have the whole privilege thing upside down. Not being pulled over for traffic stops because of the color of your skin isn't privilege the white people enjoy. Being pulled over for traffic stops because of the color of your skin is an injustice that African Americans and others of color have had to endure for far too long. And I certainly gain no enjoyment from that fact. Not being pulled over unless there is a just cause should be a right that everyone takes for granted. Isn't an ultimate goal of progressivism that everyone be treated evenly, fairly, and justly when it comes to traffic stops, lending practices, hiring practices, and anything you can think of? So between that last voicemail and then this bit of this email, I feel like everyone is saying the same thing, just in a different way, like two sides of the same coin about whether the the labels of oppression and privilege are appropriate. And and because I think that everyone is is literally saying the same thing, just in different ways, that it's not actually a useful conversation to dissect who gets lumped in as privileged and who gets lumped in as oppressed and what does that mean exactly. So for anyone with a better perspective on how to break that down, please call in and let us know. But I want to give my perspective on what made these two – presumably straight uh, but definitely white males call in with this sort of gut instinct objection to being called privileged and and my sense of it is just sort of on a gut level because I, I feel like I can understand where they're coming from is is the sense w- whether warranted or not that being referred to as, as privileged is uh, is a negative thing. And, and it almost comes with the connotation that you've done something wrong that, you know, you should be ashamed of or, or that you need to make up for. And so, you know, like these two guys, white males who uh, enjoy the privileges of being a white male but don't wish to be privileged and, and didn't do anything in their lives to be privileged, feel the instinct to say like, hey, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not the one at fault here. And so I I feel like I understand where they're coming from and my perspective on on trying to clarify that is is that I don't feel like when people talk about privilege, they intend to talk about it in a way that actually casts blame on those who are privileged because in the variety of categories that a person can be privileged, I think almost by definition – those all of those categories of privileged are innate to a person. They they are inherent at birth, and and they are not something that that people choose uh, choose to uh, take advantage of or not, or, or choose to do for themselves. So my sense from these two guys is that is that they're they're reacting to a very very subtle feeling of being attacked, where no attack was intended, but. That's how they felt anyways, and, and I think I can understand that feeling. Uh, so if anyone has further insights on this, I think it's just an interesting uh, conversation to have. And uh, so please keep comments coming either on this or the Trayvon case or anything else, 206-202-3410. And then just before I wrap up, I, I thought that I was done talking about uh, donations for my climate ride because you know I, I reached my goal. And I wasn't going to talk about it for a while. And, and then I got a few donations. So I want to thank uh, Jeffrey and Scott, who came in with a, with a couple of healthy donations, $50 and $40, respectively. Uh, huge thanks to those guys. And, but the most interesting uh, donation to come in so far is from the only anonymous donor uh, who who's donated. Donated a whopping $300 along with this note. And they say, great show. Here's some oil money from the Middle East enjoy the ride so as i say it's an anonymous donation i don't know where it's from or who it's from uh but it is uh, very much appreciated and and i'm now at 119 percent of my uh of my fundraising goal up past um twenty eight hundred dollars so huge thanks to all of those donors it was completely unexpected but very much appreciated of course So that is going to be it for today. So if you would like to support the show itself, you can become a member or a one-time donor to the show. That is absolutely the most effective way to support uh, the work I do here. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and spreading the word of individual clips that you particularly like through your social networks that can be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show. For from bestoftheleft.com.
2: of Black and white, so you took a picture that wasn't right. on a shining only a Take you out.